It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's Wednesday, which means coming up in about an hour, we have our weekly roundtable for two hours uh, of commentary and analysis on uh, local, state, and national headlines and uh, current events from a panel of political pundits, which includes our roundtable regulars. Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right joined uh, this week by uh, Jan Worth Nelson from East Village Magazine. But uh, we're going to start out this first hour of our three-hour tour with a uh, social science researcher and writer who has uh, a new book called White Christian Privilege, The Illusion of Religious Equality in America. Her name is uh, Kiati Joshi, and she joins me by phone. Kiati, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Happy to be here. Um, When we talk about um, religious equality, what's the difference between religious freedom and religious equality? Well... Religious freedom is the idea that anyone who is in this country can practice their faith, their spirituality, as 
freely as possible without any restraint due to society, societal barriers, or government intervention. And um, that's something we're aiming for. A lot of people think we have it because of um, the First Amendment and the ideas of freedom of religion there, but um, it's actually still an aspiration and not something in reality because uh, we know of the various types of religious discrimination that happens, the way that black churches, synagogues, Hindu temples, mosques are vandalized. So we're working on perfecting that ideal. So therein lies the illusion of religious equality is because we aspire to religious freedom. Correct, correct. And, you know, along with uh, the uh, the fact that the First Amendment is there, um, most folks, kind of see religious diversity in our country and equate the presence of religious diversity with religious freedom. You know, that, well, look, we've got all these folks here practicing their faith, so everything must be okay. And, you know, that's just not reality. Um, but the, the combination of the First Amendment and the presence of religious diversity leads to that illusion. What does white Christian privilege mean? We hear the the phrase white privilege a lot, and and I always argue that you know while I may be white, I don't I don't always feel as privileged as that implies. But um, mm. but yet I recognize that there are privileges that white people have that maybe other people don't enjoy. Um, but what do we what do we mean when we talk about white Christian privilege, and why, and why don't you consider it like a lot of people do Christian Judeo? Well, so a couple of things. Um, first, it's you know, uh, as somebody who does workshops and trainings, you know, outside of the university and public conversations around race and privilege and religion, I get this a lot. You know, this idea that, you know, somebody who is, I, uh, identifies as white will be like, well, what do you mean, Kathy, that I have these privileges? Um, it's not a concept that most of us grew up learning about. It's something we've been exposed to as adults, and so that's kind of sometimes harder to take on and take in. The privilege, if we're talking white privilege, is a product of systemic racism. So, Tom, if you identify as white, you have white privilege, not because you did a darn thing to have it. It's because the way laws and our society here in the United States has been constructed. And, therefore, some benefits have been conferred upon you. So, Christian privilege is kind of the same thing. Christianity has had a special role um, in our society. Uh, it is kind of embedded in our legal and social architecture. And so there are advantages that exist today uh, because of it. And you bring up Judeo-Christian. Um, the phrase Judeo-Christian was, maybe I could even say it was well-intentioned when we started first seeing it in the 40s and 50s. Um, it was a way to kind of include Jews in the fold um, but it was it was kind of, always existed. It was kind of a, an outgrowth of of World War II and yes. an acknowledgement of of the horrors that happened to Jews during World War II. Um, at least it seemed that way to me. But a lot of people are using it as if the the 
country was founded uh, back in the uh, what 17th no 18th century um, based on Judeo-Christian values and and it that seems like a fairly contemporary phrase for that. Yeah, it is, and it is a way, um, like, that's why I said, I think it was well-intentioned when it came about, but, you know, there's intent versus impact, and often using that phrase masks um, the real problems that still exist. We still, you know, we've had a long history of anti-Semitism in this country, and, um, and we still see uh, virulent anti-Semitism today. So I don't use that phrase because I do think it's a way to mask the issues that actually do exist. And the um, the book, again, is, is called White Christian Privilege, The Illusion of Religious Equality in America. And in in your book, Kiati, are you restating the problem, or are you suggesting some things we can do to make it different? Yeah, so I first, um, it has a little history in law for your listeners who might be history buffs. Um, it does contain history that is not often uh, discussed. It's certainly not history that I grew up learning about going to school um, in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, I talk about what Christian privilege looks like today, you know, because um, sometimes I'm talking Christian privilege and sometimes I'm talking white Christian privilege because African-American Christians, Asian-American, Hispanic Christian folks do have those privileges, but then there's also race. Um, and so sometimes there is a distinction um, that has to be made between Christian privilege and white Christian privilege. Um, I think you know, I do offer um, at the end, the last chapter, a five kind of five prong roadmap as to how to move forward that I luckily have been hearing about from readers and listeners, because the book is available on Audible too, um, about how they've been using this work um, in their own context. Um, because what we're going to have to do is change a few things. And that's what I outline kind of in the last chapter. I talk about changing the questions, changing our foundational assumptions, for example. In the world of interfaith work, Tom, you may have come across this, there's often the focus on how all these religions are the same, you know. Um, and we have to start focusing on how we're different. As a Hindu, I pray differently in a different way in a different space than a Jewish person. Uh, neither is right or wrong, but we're going to have to start paying attention to the differences, not just the commonalities, as often interfaith organizations and movements have been. So those are some of the things I talk about. Yeah, I was having that, that same uh, discussion with somebody uh, just recently, a, uh, a minister who <laughs> he's written a book called If... Um, and it hasn't aired yet, but uh, he, he's written a book called um, "If God Is Love, Don't Be a Jerk." Uh, no. <laughs> and and it's it's kind of a it's it's kind of a fun book about how um, you know people who claim to be religious aren't very much. And we got into a discussion, Kiati, exactly as you just described about interfaith uh, uh, movements and intentions. Um, 
looking for the commonalities. And um, don't most, uh, certainly Western religions, but, but don't most religions globally have at their core some of the same morals? Oh, yes, I would agree. But what has happened in interfaith work around here, which is why we only kind of get so far, is that we we stop there. We break bread. We have meals together. We see the commonalities and talk about that, you know, at the core beliefs isn't it about the way we live our lives and treat people, you know, um, our moral compass can be similar. And I, I don't have any problem with that. The issue, what I'm saying, Tom, is we can't stop there. Like, I, you know, we have, I, I live in northern Jersey, and, you know, I live off a street where we've got two churches, a synagogue, a Hindu temple, okay? That's um, got to be, that's got to be quite, uh, quite a change from Atlanta. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is. Uh, certainly when I was growing up, um, I did not quite fit in as a little brown Hindu girl. And I was fortunate because um, my family, so my, we, I'm, I was born in India and immigrated to the United States with my parents in 1971. Um, and we moved to Atlanta in 75. And my, I would say probably, historically speaking, we're probably one of the first 15 Indian families to settle in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, luckily for me, my parents helped build one of the Hindu temples. And so I had a very strong Indian American Hindu community. We were, we were small, but we were mighty, <laughs> you know, and now <laughs> the community is uh, growing by leaps and bounds. And overall, the Asian American community is in Georgia. Um, but the thing is, is that we pray differently. And, you know, when you have this kind of diversity around, you know, have you been, do people go to say hello to the temple? Do people go to the synagogue? So you know what it feels like and looks like there. That's what I'm hoping we'll start getting into. Um, I, I would say that most religious houses of worship, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, they're open. They want people to come in and say hello. Um, and we need to have conversations that allow for that so you can see that when you walk into the Hindu temple, you're going to see me sitting on the floor praying. It looks different than sitting in a pew. I happen to sit in a pew and pray also because I'm married to an Episcopalian, and we both do the Episcopalian thing and the Hindu thing, you know, <laughs> all the time. That, you know, reminds me of uh, some Christian... Jewish uh, interfaith uh, marriages and, and trying to decide if they're going to celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah, you know, that, that whole thing. Um, Kiati, I have to take a uh, break here, and, and I feel like we're just scratching the surface, and I want to talk some more. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Would be happy to do so. Great. My guest is uh, Kiati Joshi. Am I saying that right, Kiati? You are. Um, the name of the book is uh, White Christian Privilege, The Illusion of Religious 
equality in America. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. We'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, 
where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about a new book that's called uh, White Christian Privilege, The Illusion of Religious Equality in America by Kiati Joshi, and she joins me by phone. Kiati, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no, it's fine. Happy to be here, Tom. Um, we were talking a little bit about uh, where people who are maybe intending to be uh, accepting of other religions um, as as sort of leaving off with the commonalities between different uh, religions around the globe. And I, I, I wanted to, to ask... What um, and, and you were suggesting that, that maybe we need to explore further to um, get a, uh, a better knowledge and, and understanding of some of the differences as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's not something that's, that's very easy for people to do. And I also wanted to bring up and, and ask you to explore with me a little bit um, a notion that there are an awful lot of people, especially in the United States, who seem to be trading in traditional religions for almost, um, this sounds a little trite, but a a generic spirituality, if you will. Um, Do you find that to to be true as a way of just avoiding dealing with the differences? I don't. So, first of all, you are right in that dealing with differences does make people uncomfortable, whether it's racial, gender, or religion, you know, um, or other kinds of differences. And in trying to build a more perfect union, which is really what I'm out to do, you know, I believe in the ideals set forth in our founding documents. And I see doing this work trying to build a more equitable and just society as a way of, you know, living up to those. And I think that uh, one of the things we're going to have to reckon with is that it is, you're going to have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, when, you know, um, I, I, when I, I still remember the first time I went to a funeral, which I identified as a Christian funeral, you know, I didn't want to do something wrong. You know, I didn't want to be disrespectful, do something I'm not supposed to do, say something I'm not supposed to say. So it, it, it it's scary, you know. Um, but you got to do your homework. You talk to people, and you learn, you know. Um, because for me, Tom, as a Hindu, going to a funeral, for example, I wear white. I don't wear black. You know, we wear white. And so it's just knowing the things to do. So one of the things when we're trying to um, build a more equitable and just society to keep in mind is the difference between diversity and justice, right? So 
Diversity is understanding and having cultural competence. That's another phrase you and your listeners might hear, right? Understanding, oh, this is how Korean Americans do X, or this is how Mexican Americans do Y, and this is what, you know, you work with African Americans, you know, and you should know X, Y, and Z. Justice, that, that would be, you know, the diversity approach. The justice approach is understanding that these different groups are not on equal footing, that because of race, because of religion, um, some groups have advantage, which we also talk about as privilege, and some groups have disadvantage, which we talk about as discrimination and alienation. And so, you know, both approaches are important. The diversity approach often feels good. You know, it can be the heroes, it can be the holidays and the food festivals. Um, and most people won't have a problem with that, although some do, but in part, most don't. The justice approach is what makes people a little more uncomfortable um, because then we're talking issues of social power and privilege. And, you know, people don't like to feel like, well, they have some benefits in this country that they didn't earn. Um, but the truth is, that is the reality, whether we're talking male privilege, white privilege, or Christian privilege. When someone finds themselves, uh, you know, especially someone who strives to be inclusive and accepting mm -hmm. in a situation that is different and a little bit awkward, is it, is it okay to just ask what's appropriate? Because I think we're really reluctant to do that. I've been in situations in churches where I wasn't sure whether I should join with other members of the church in taking communion or not. And mm -hmm. that's just one little, you know, passing sort of example. But when we're in an environment where the practices are different, can we just turn to someone and say, what should I do? Is it is it appropriate for me to join in or should I just stay an observer? Um, I think it depends on the situation. I think it depends on your relationship with the person who who has come. I'll give you a very personal, specific example. Um, uh, about a month ago, um, I went to um, uh, a burial site, you know, part of the funeral of a friend who is Muslim. And I had never been to a Muslim uh funeral before or the part where the person is being buried and my husband was with me and um the men were all passing around the shovel putting you know taking turns to um shovel the dirt on top of the coffin and my husband leaned over to a friend because the person was a good friend and said I would like to do that as a way of paying my respects is it okay that I do that? And, you know, everybody knew he was Christian. And they were like, yeah, yeah, no problem. That will be fine. And he did it. You know, we had the relationship, um, and so he asked the question. I think sometimes you also have to do a little bit of your own homework. Do you and run the risk of, of uh, committing, I don't know, some, some version of implicit bias by doing that if you don't? have uh, someone that you already know pretty well that that you can be comfortable asking 
Well, I think you run, you know, the uh, error in doing something that perhaps you, you know, should have should not have done, or you'll be asking for forgiveness later, <laughs> you know, um, and stuff like that. And I think this is why you also have to do your own homework. I mean, sometimes I get, you know, because I do these public conversations, I appear on radio shows. Sometimes I'll get, you know, emails. Uh, with people asking me questions and depending on the question, you know, I'll say, well, look into this or this. Sometimes I'll provide more explanation because it's an in-depth question and it's clear that somebody's done their homework a little bit, that it's not that they're being lazy and just coming to me for the answers, you know? And so depending on the question, I'll answer it or I'll lead people to, you know, certain websites or books to check out. Um, And so we have to, uh, and this is why having a diverse group of friends, uh, a diverse network is important because then you can reach out to people. It, but if you don't have that, then you're reaching out and it's kind of like people are wondering, well, why, why, why are you asking such a basic question? Which is, is how sometimes people feel. Is, is, um, is there a natural tendency for people to group with... Uh, people that are like them that I don't want to say like-minded but that practice the same uh, traditions and and rituals you mentioned earlier that your family was building a Hindu church so you felt like you had a, a Hindu community to identify with is is that kind of normal for everybody to you know find themselves drawn to and associating with people that are like them and and they have to make an extra effort to uh, surround themselves with the kind of inclusion and diversity that you were talking about a moment ago yeah i mean i think that especially when you are a minority people do tend to look for others who are like them so that there can be some type of common experience that you're relying upon. I mean, this is why in school we see kids of similar racial backgrounds sitting together sometimes. It's not because the school is saying we believe in segregation. It's the kids doing it themselves, right, because there is comfort in being with somebody who is like you in some way, shape, or form. But I'm going to call attention to one other thing, Tom, because you just gave us a perfect example of the way Christian privilege exists in our country. Um, I said Hindu temple, and you just asked me and mentioned Hindu church, right? So it's not a church, because church is the term for a Christian house of worship. But this is often what happens all the time. I'll be asked, oh, Kathy, um, what, what, you know, what church do you go to? Or what's your Bible? You know, what does your Bible say? Well, the Bible refers to um, what is, for Christians, the Old Testament and New Testament, right? Some religions don't even have uh, one form of sacred scripture. Um, some have multiple forms of sacred scripture. So, you know, uh, the the Christian terms get used as regular um, terms, if you will. As, as universal. As an example of Christian normativity and Christian privilege. Yeah, those terms become universal. Yeah, yeah. 
but they're not, right? They're not. And so um, that's really important. I've often been asked, oh, well, what's your Christmas? Well, I, I don't have a Christmas. I mean, are you asking what's a really significant religious holiday? You know, and that which is what usually people are asking. Well, there there are uh, there are several holidays that happen um, during that that first part of winter, and, mm-hmm. and and so there there is a sense that that's when Christmas happens and that's when Hanukkah happens, and I think doesn't Ramadan happen around that same time? And so no, Ramadan happens throughout the year, depending on the year. Okay. Yeah, it's on a different calendar. I, I, I just I, I just remember it coinciding uh, uh-huh. recently, and you know, thinking uh, that it would it it would seem sort of natural to someone who was raised, uh, you know, in a in a Christian environment, you know, uh-huh. to to think of all of the the holidays that happen, you know, during that period of time as. Um, being a a person's Christmas, you know the, the right, holiday that they that they celebrate um, or or uh, commemorate at that time of year, but well, I but I understand that you know what they're saying is something completely different than what they're intending well, to say. Right, and and that is often Tom what has happened, and that's why Hanukkah has. The prominence that it has is because of its proximity to Christmas. Theologically speaking, Hanukkah is not a very important holiday for Jewish Americans. You know, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Passover, way more spiritually significant, right? But because of Hanukkah's proximity to Christmas, it has been elevated, if you will. And then the, that's, and what you talk about with important holidays happening in December is exactly what happens. So there's this sense, well, any holiday that happens in December is important. But Ramadan happens throughout the year, depending on the year. Diwali for Hindus happens in October. This year it's in early November, you know. And so that's another perspective we have to get away. One of the things I talk about in the last chapter about some of the things we need to change, and one of the things I talk about is we need to change the paradigm. And what the example I give, Tom, is that I am a firm believer in saying Merry Christmas, I believe we should say Merry Christmas and not Happy Holidays. I can understand why Christians feel, um, you know, that their holiday is getting diluted if we say Happy Holiday. But here's what else I need then if we're going to do that. I need folks to know when to say uh, have a joyous Passover. I know people. I need people to know to say Eid Mubarak, which is re- recognizing Eid. Or Kathy, have a happy Diwali. You know, so it's, we are going to, we, we, with religion, we've gone to try to dilute, we've gone to try to take out. I'm a firm believer, let's keep religion in, but we need to bring in other faiths, because in many places, especially public spaces, it's really only Christianity that has a presence. Well, you know, I think that the happy holidays thing is, is an easy trap to get into, because it, you know, it is by design uh, supposed to be inclusive of all, especially to people who don't really 
know those distinctions and and it it saves people the embarrassment of saying you know how do you say merry christmas in jewish right but <laughs> and i know that sounds silly the bigger problem right you I, realize but, the bigger problem but i know i know that sounds silly but that's how people feel because they don't know the right greetings is the best way to become more aware of of different cultures and and i've always thought this um was through um I, I was thinking there are two, food being one of them. Um, is, it, is, is that a great way to sort of break the ice and, and start getting to know about different cultures? Uh, that can be one way, but there's going to be something. There's one other specific thing that folks need to do, and they need to get involved in their local school boards. We need religion, religious literacy taught in schools. You know, um, what happened was in uh, with two Supreme Court decisions, most notably 1963 Abington v. Shemp, that 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 the Supreme Court said the Supreme Court, excuse me, said we need to take prayer out of school. They didn't say we need to take religion out of school. Indeed, Justice Tom Clark said once education is not entirely complete without the study of religion. However, that got lost, and there was a sense conservative Christian America attacked the government saying, you don't believe in God, and you're removing God from, from our schools, you know. The government was taking prayer out, not religion out, but the other thing that happened was we didn't learn about religions in school, and so we have many generations today that don't know um, in some cases, even about their own faith. I mean, I teach and I deal with religion in public schools, and my students will be like, um, Professor Joshi, I went to 12 years of Catholic school, and I don't know X, Y, or Z about Catholicism. Right? We need to, I don't know how you understand world events and world history without having a better understanding of different world religions. When I was so in high that's school... That's start. When I was in high school, there, they, and this was many, many years ago, Kiati, <laughs> um, it, but it was after the Supreme Court decision to take prayer out of schools. But there was an elective class on the Bible as literature. Oh, great! And it it was a cool idea. I didn't take it because you know if I if I couldn't. Uh, wait for the movie to come out I was probably not going to read because I wasn't a big reader when I was in high school um, but but looking back on it I'd be surprised if there were similar opportunities in public schools around the country and 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 all of a sudden it, it occurs to me and I, I don't know what it would look like Kiati would it be a class in in comparative religious writing or um, some other way that we could um, without pushing a particular one or ranking them in some way um, get people exposed to yeah more of you the know, information Yes. Even today, if a public high school wanted to offer a class on the Bible as literature, that's completely constitutional. That's fine. 
you know, it's an elective course. Um, Modesto, California, um, I believe, was the first uh, school district to institute a requirement for graduation for a class on world religions, you know, um, from a historical, philosophical approach. That's totally fine. I, I'm, we need to do that. You know, and maybe that really, maybe that, maybe that should be a part of, of a social studies curriculum in public schools. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and it's going to take, you know, uh, a lot of work. You know, some teachers, some parents might feel, oh, this teacher will push this or push that. When you often ask the students, though, you know, they know the teachers and the teachers I know that are engaged in this work and having these conversations, they really are out to have students learn. No one's trying to push an agenda, you know, and there, but the fear of that happening is, is getting in the way of us actually accomplishing instituting religious literacy. My guest is uh, Kiati Joshi. She is a um, social science researcher and writer. Her new book is uh, uh, White Christian Privilege, The Illusion of Religious Equality in America. And we're getting close to the end of our time, Kiati. I feel like we could talk about this for hours. Uh, we're just scratching yeah. the surface. But let me uh, let me ask this, as I do of all my guests, where listeners can find out where some good places to start to find out more about what we're talking about. Obviously, the book is a good place to start. But um, do you have a website that... that yeah. Offers links and so on to, to explore some of these things. Kiati, what, yeah. what is your website? If, if folks go to whitechristianprivilege.com, there are some videos and uh, of lectures I've given and podcasts. There is um, a sh- nice 25-minute uh, or so conversation that I have with Senator Booker, uh, Senator Cory Booker, um, on faith and justice. Um, and uh, there's some instructor guides there, too, that actually, like, church groups have used for book clubs. Um, So there's lots of resources uh, folks can find at whitechristianprivilege.com. What's your next project? Oh, you know, that's a really good question. Um, Right now, I'm heavily involved in doing trainings, and have been for many years, with school districts. Um, around anti-bias, anti-racist education, and, um, you know, the folks who are lining up saying we don't want critical race theory taught to our elementary school students or even high school students are kind of attacking people like me right now. So right now I'm pretty busy kind of defending the work that I do um, and helping school districts do this work and engage and promote equity and justice. Well, Kiati, uh, thanks for spending this time with me this morning, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Nice chatting with you, Tom. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. That was uh, Kiati Joshi, or Joshi, rather, and the uh, name of the book is White Christian Privilege, the Illusion of Religious Equality in America. 
And um, we're going to have a lot more of the Tom Sumner program coming up straight ahead. We have, of course, uh, Armchair Politics begins at the top of the hour for two hours of commentary and analysis on local, state, and national headlines in politics and current events with our roundtable regulars, Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right. This week we're going to be joined by the um, uh, consulting editor of uh, East Village Magazine, Jan Worth Nelson, will be joining us. And uh, that's coming up in, uh, oh, about uh, 17 minutes or so. Um, in the meantime, we're going to take a short break. If you're listening to us at w- on uh, 92.1 LPFM, Our Voices Radio, WFOV in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House, Spectacle Productions, and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. 
Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. W.H. Weiskarper, a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiskarper, a former National Security Advisor and counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches, fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Carver's book, Twilight of Empire, shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Carver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner program, visit whyscarver.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. More than one audience has been taken unaware by the humor of Senator Barry Goldwater of Arizona. Here is Senator Goldwater accepting the nomination for President of the United States at the annual mock convention of Washington's exclusive Alfalfa Club. Well, this is the most exciting thing that's happened to me since Walter Ruther made me an honorary auto worker. (laughs) Gentlemen, gentlemen, if my voice trembles a little at this historic moment, I'm sure you'll understand. It takes my breath away even though I feel the White House is now ready for me since Jacqueline remodeled it in an 18th century decor. (laughs) And frankly, I I feel it's a double honor since I've never even been to Harvard. (laughs) But members of this convention, this has been a genuine draft, not just the kind felt by reservists, and I've, and I've yielded to it in the sincere belief that no man with a drop of patriotism in his veins could turn down such a golden opportunity to advance his family. Uh, of course, the, the Goldwater clan is not as large as the Kennedy clan, and my brother Bob doesn't want to be in government. Uh, <laughs> He promised Dad he'd go straight. (laughs) And I wouldn't be truthful if I said that I was fully qualified for the office. I don't play the piano, I seldom play golf, and I never play touch football. 
But I hope you'll find it in your hearts to accept a president who just sits behind a desk and works. Now, I must take note of the fact here that my opponents call me a conservative. If I understand the word correctly, it means to conserve. Well then, I'm just trying to live up to my name and conserve two things that most need conserving in this country, gold and water. me to turn to my campaign platform, but before I do that, I just want to say that I don't apologize for being a conservative. I can remember where the conservative and mother were clean words. <laughs> but as you all know, I've argued for some time that we should do away with the cumbersome and lengthy, unmeaningful and platitudinous promises that the platforms of both parties have become. We need bold, brief statements that all Americans can understand. Now, the first plank fits neatly on one page, but I think it's basically sound and honest. It will mean the same thing to you whether you live in the North or the South, whether you're a farmer in Maine or an industrial worker in California. It says, and I ask you to play, pay close attention, elect Goldwater. <laughs> now... Gentlemen, that's it. No nonsense. No shilly-shallying. No hair-splitting. Just elect Goldwater. It's got a nice ring to it that I sort of like. And is there anyone from the highest to the lowest from the ordinary school child to the lowliest Harvard professor who can possibly mistake this meeting? I'll go even further. Is there anyone in this convention hall who doesn't understand it? <laughs> now, members of this convention, the other two planks deal with labor, education, foreign policy, and the farm problem. Here's plank number two. Elect Goldwater. <laughs> Now, you may notice a certain similarity between the first plank and the second, and I want you to know that that was deliberate. It's been my experience that the public is confused if you offer too many issues. The thing to do is to get a hold of a good one and stick to it. Hammer it home. Repetition, gentlemen, is the way Madison Avenue sells toothpaste and soap, and it's the way the new frontier stays in the limelight. But when repetition occurs at the White House, and it has since 1932, it's not a sales pitch, it's a giveaway. You don't even have to guess the price. And now, gentlemen, for the final plank. Plank number three. This is the bell ringer, and it's even shorter. It just says, ditto. <laughs> there, gentlemen. I suggest that you have a platform in five words. Elect Goldwater, elect Goldwater, ditto. <laughs> and just to keep things symmetrical, I think I'll hold the budget down to five figures. Jane Mansfield's for openers, and I'll accept nominations for the other four. <laughs>
This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Them all 
Now they know how many holes it takes to feel love and Program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here. 